This is Michael Craver with Michael Craver Presents. And I've named all of the episodes Escaping Vanity, but I had renamed it Michael Craver Presents for a reason. I've always had this idea called Support the Opposition. And it comes from an old sort of debate relationship that I have with a friend of mine in Michigan. And, and he's a wonderful guy. I've known 20 years next year, and we've traveled across this country a couple of different times. Well, not all the way across the country, but we've, we've traveled cross-country, or at least uh, diagonally, as much as any Norwegian settlers that made it to Minnesota anyway. Sven and his company, as Lewis Black talks about the Norwegian settlers of, of who settled Minnesota, um, the Scandinavian people. And my man, I'm going to call him Detective Harrigan, is from just outside of Flint, Michigan. They film the hardcore pawn show with Les and um, his kids, the the Gold family up there. And I'd, I'd gone to visit and been to the Royal Oak Music Theater to see Noel Gallagher play his guitar. Beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, we went down to the Tabernacle in Atlanta and watched Noel Gallagher play his guitar, which is a, a wonderful converted church that they have down in Atlanta where they have concerts. If you get a chance to go, I encourage you to go. Uh, we've also been to some wrestling uh, extravaganzas and so forth. So between us, we've debated many topics. And we throw all kinds of things on the table. I love these relationships that I have with other people. Most of them being with with my my male partners, and what, that didn't sound right. Well, anyway, um, the idea being that you support the opposition was a term that came up when we were talking about what we might originally name a podcast back in the day. And I've not, I don't know that I've shared with him that I have any episodes on iTunes or anything. Maybe he knows. I don't know, but. You would think that's odd, right? I'm half a dozen episodes in, but um, I decided I would, I would, in honor of him. This is my support the opposition being the name of this one, and I, and I love that because it's more to do with principle and and sort of a market minded, business minded. Uh, I use all these other alternative terms, but it's a business style kind of leadership role that I've been used to in the past, and it's really important to me that people exercise the best practices of their industry. And for me, that means a lot of discipline. When I first came up in the ranks, I was working for Young Brands years ago, who owns uh, A&W and uh, Taco Bell, KFC, uh, Pizza Hut. It's part of Tricon Global, which was a company under Pepsi that owned... Uh, or I'm, I may I may have the the structure of the triangle wrong, but Tricon owns the Pepsi family or whatever, plus uh, Yum Brands, which owns the restaurants, and then another wing. And so anyway, um, I worked for several different locations and brands and and, and things. And when I first came in, you know, I, the, the restaurants that I worked for, you know, there was the the, the uh, and I, I may have mentioned this on podcast or on record that there was books that you filled out with the basic. Um, safe count and your daily maintenance cleanliness some other charts and things like that and i'm in a very nice location now and there's none of that sort of tediousness however it makes me long for those days where everything was in this structured printed out you know monday is this wednesday's that friday's this kind of environment where you hold them accountable where the corporate now KFC, I believe when I was working for them, they were still called Kentucky Fried Chicken. They, I know they changed the, to the stock portfolio and everything else, but they changed it to just the initials, KFC. The check that the corporate people come around and do for the branding is called the CER check. It's called the Champs Excellence Review. And Champs in itself stands for something different for KFC. It's cleanliness, hospitality, um, accuracy, maintenance, product quality and speed of service i believe and um i'm rusty it's been it's been a decade but the champs excellence review is their version of almost the brand or the health inspection sort of thing where they make sure that you're fit 
to carry their logo and all of their lineage that goes along with being part of their family and their restaurant chain. Because, you know, if you're not up to standards, they don't want you to have the Colonel Sanders or whatever on the door. The store I was in in, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, got the first gold star from the new inspector we had at Charlotte for the region. and uh, She had failed some, <laughs> some much larger, some managers that I respected much more than I thought I knew my job got lower scores. So I felt very blessed on either the timing or the circumstances. But... Um, I've always thought to myself, like, that structure has been in me for the longest time. Uh, and because I was managing those places, I had all of this uh, problem-solving sort of experience where the inventory is a little off and, you know, how to go in and, and dig for the common man's problem. Okay, the drawer's off. The credit cards are off. This ain't settling. The maintenance needs to be done on a certain issue. and I could do it all. And, and people use that analogy about riding a bike. I feel like I could go back tomorrow and just do it all. Well, maybe a lot of this stuff has changed. I don't know that. But um, it is, as I have often argued, a skill of minimal. It's a, it's a minimal skill level entry into the working world, right? So I was able to master those things very well, as, as anyone should be able to. At least I think so. If you're a you know halfway successful high school graduate, you can master those concepts and then grow far beyond that level. I just remember those things. And I think to myself, I work in a very nice restaurant chain now that does not have those levels of structure. It's They do it their own way, but it's not done with the same discipline and, and regimen. And to me, it I don't know. It almost seems to me that you would think like with money comes that level of responsibility and the... Um, Let's say the loyalty to the to the dollar and to the investment would mean that you would have that significantly greater um, structure underneath of where the dollars are spent. So if there's so much more revenue coming through and the inventory is more prestigious and you're paying the employees more and more money, that that capital being a, a higher stakes game would mean that the structure underneath it is built more securely, don't you think? You know, if you have a really, really, really nice house, wouldn't you think the foundation is pretty good? You had some very well-paid, skilled men who did the work, you know, and, and it would be well-maintained, and it would be done with the best engineers and the best architects and stuff. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and every time I say, you know what I mean, you have to take a drink or something, because I, I shouldn't say words like that. You shouldn't say words like, um... I learned all of these things in the public speaking class that I didn't take, but someone else told me about. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm at this really nice place, but I've been other places that have such great structure, or at least they have. Uh, my mother does consulting on a very broad basis for healthcare systems. I admire her work beyond belief. I admire the, her dedication to how many hours she works, to her attention to travel, to try to help people. Uh, I know she's gone out of the way to try to get people bonus money or, or raises or incentives uh, for places that she was leaving. It, quite frankly, had nothing to do with her. It was goodwill, and I admire that more than anyone will ever know. Um, and I can try to say that here, and I hope if you know you hear it and you want to tell her thank you or ask her, I, she'll be happy to tell you about the work she does because she's very proud of it, and I am too. So I'll tell you about it. And the dashboard, as she has described it to me, is where, you know, they get all the metrics from different things, and they're weighing the different values, how to make decisions, how to make projections. This many patients are coming in, we need this much staff, we need this many hours, you know what I mean? So, wow, I just did it again. So, to myself, I thought, you know, we do similar operations in the restaurant industry. We have best practices. A server should be able to handle this many guests per hour, this many dollars per hour. He should be upselling this many appetizers or desserts. He should have this number of dollars in alcohol on average against the other servers, right? You create this bell curve and average, and then you go from there into what you would expect the production level of an individual and average server to be as you're training a new person you say look you need to be up to this standard or greater or we're going to go with somebody else because out of the you know five thousand people we've got measured we are going to expect this across the board 
It's not unrealistic. We didn't take a small sample pool. This is a very large sampling, and this is what we believe the regular person should be able to do. Okay. We don't have any of that. We have nothing like that. We have a floor staff that if we had in this hypothetical restaurant, because I'm not going to tell you where I work and, and I'm not going to cause any trouble for myself, but uh, in my hypothetical restaurant, there are 50% restrictions on seating because in America, we have this pandemic going on in the summer of 2020. And in the pandemic seating chart, we have, let's go through it in my head. Three, five, seven, nine, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, and six on the patio makes twenty-four. The dining room would make twenty-seven. I believe we have twenty-seven tables. Let's round it up to thirty because there's some bar tables. We're gonna say <coughs> that on a slower Tuesday night because. Tuesday night does a fraction of what we do on the busier weekend days. That we would have a floor staff that would be staffed according to those numbers, right? So if we're doing five to ten to twelve thousand dollars on a Friday or Saturday night, okay, that sounds good, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, so if we're doing that much on Friday night, what's the floor staff like on Friday night? Well, we go. Oh, there's Server for every three tables, so 10 servers. Yeah, 10 servers. How many tables you got on Tuesday when you do a fourth of those dollars? Or half of those dollars? Right, you got half the servers, right? Uh Uh-uh. We got like seven servers. Wait, what? You do 70% of the staffing to cover 50% of the floor or 50% of the sales? Maybe less. And with the mix in today's volume of the takeout, DoorDash, Grubhub, you know, the, wait a minute, don't you have, and we have to-go people. Oh, we forgot the to-go people. So isn't your labor kind of crazy? Yes, it is most definitely crazy. However, because they don't figure it like that, they figure that the labor is saving itself. How could the labor be saved itself, man? It's crazy. No, the labor is saving itself because let's say, for instance, your to-go people don't get paid a minimum wage. And though they're not on the floor, and though their income will never reach 7 to $10 per hour, the state of North Carolina allows them to be paid two thirteen per hour. And then as long as their average for the entire week is floated across and above the 725 federal minimum wage they could be making nothing they get 213 an hour they could work 10 to go hours at that rate what they would be entitled to on their check is 7250 for 10 hours of pay 10 times 725 all right however if they worked 20 hours 10 were to go and they made nothing well they would have been paid 10 Hours of two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. They make twenty one thirty. Somewhere they're gonna make that extra fifty dollars. Fortunately for wonderful servers, we make fifteen to thirty five to forty dollars an hour on the other de- hours. So for for the ten hours that they make twenty bucks an hour or so, they've already covered the other ten that they'll never make anything. They've made twice the minimum wage on half the time. The math will never be so that the corporate office ends up paying them anything out of their pocket. It's a wonderful way to save some dollars. And the reason I called this podcast Support the Opposition was because I think to myself, yes, they should help take care of those people. They should give them a higher wage for doing a less desirable and less rewarding job that is extremely tedious, number one. Secondly, because the industry standard is to pay those people more money, you ought to do it to keep up with your competitors and to treat your people as if they are as respected as your competitors treat their employees. And thirdly, one of the other things that goes along in restaurants, a long way, that doesn't ever happen for most people, though it does in some places, is that you have money to pay them out of the payroll and the profits, but you're Sitting on food, drinks. Now, you don't give them the alcohol, right? You don't give away the alcohol. That's just irresponsible. Nothing that says you can't come up with a very basic, you know, 
eco-friendly, cost-friendly menu for those people who are working those less desirable jobs to be able to, to work and be rewarded with the inventory. Uh, after all, you're buying it at wholesale, you're marketing it at retail. Would you rather give away the, the actual dollars or would you rather give away the image? Well, fortunately for the company I work for, you know, they don't have to give up a damn thing. They just pay them $213 an hour and they stick them with the, the bill for the rest, really. You you might have been a person who, before the pandemic, made an average of $20 to $40 every single hour you worked, and now that you're thrown into to-go shifts or something on a regular basis where you lose, don't matter how many hours you're on the to-goes, you're missing those hours on the floor, okay? Um, if you were to work a short shift and go home, in theory, you might work three hours on to-go and you didn't make nothing, but it's only three hours, man. If you had been on the floor for that night, you would have made 100 to 100 to $200. It's costing you that not ju- it's not just the to go rate of pay it's also the potential from the other position that you were in it takes away opportunity it takes away hope it kills morale and that's not something you want to do to the people that you work with it's not something you want to do to the people who work for the different locations let's say you're in a home office somewhere in a boardroom you're talking about morale and how we're going to make decisions and staffing and how we're going to treat people and these standards and practices well, if you want to have the best trainers, you want to have the most loyal employees, people who have a smile, then you will, <laughs> which makes me think of Anthony reciting off that Caddyshack with a smile. Um, to clear up what that is, because anybody that's going to get confused on this, it, during Caddyshack's uh, luxury scene down at the boat docks, Judge Smales gives a speech about how you can keep a smile with your pants too tight in the ass or something like that. Uh, the shorts are too tight in the seat. And then Rodney Dangerfield runs over his boat with his giant uh, yacht. Uh, but anyway, the thing about putting a smile on people's faces is to be able to treat them well. And when they answer the phone, you can hear the smile, right? We just tell people to smile, smile when you're on the phone. Well, they can't see me. They can hear you if you're happy. Can you guys tell if I'm, like, dull right now? Like, totally. Or can you tell if I'm happy and I'm smiling or not? Of course you can. Of course you can. And I think that humor and, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into being able to break up the monotony because great leadership just doesn't come out of a textbook. It comes out of personality, of charisma, of enthusiasm. You know, the great coaches who some – are are just wonderful to their teams and they're compassionate and they you know they look out for the players they know their families they love them others are you know the tough love Bobby Knight or somebody throwing a chair and throw kicking a basketball or you know yelling screaming and unfortunately for for today's people um, and the kids who go through school will never be able to to really understand the reward of corporal punishment and getting your ass spanked because now that's considered to be like off limits however. You wonder about the greatest generation and the people who were, you know, a hundred years ago, going through World War One, and then, you know, no, no time at all. We turned the world turned around. We turned around as if I was there. The world turned around, and you have World War Two, and you think, well, those those people built this industrious, great. Yes, they did with with great integrity and opportunity and wealth and prosperity. You know, you could argue a lot about the treatment of different people, but quite frankly, as things came into that, it led the country to be able to do the other things that led into the civil rights movements and so forth. It's extremely hard to have those discussions and make progress the way they did through the 60s and the 70s without some sort of change in the level of prosperity that precedes that. So a country that is is built and is structured and strong can then go through those times and tribulations and turmoils because it has the backbone to do so. One that was already weakened would be crippled by stuff like that, like the revolutions that have happened in Greece or the the unrest and things that have happened in, let's say, Serbia or in places like Burma where there's just genocide, just, you know, ridiculousness. So 
I think to myself that the restaurant industry in and of itself is a beautiful concept. It's, it is for people who are showmen. There's a quote by Anthony Bourdain that talks about the kitchen being the last refuge of people who have a dirty past, where it's something where you could be a craftsman and you could really come of age with your skills in a way that balances the rest of your life and your opportunity to make a career out of the culinary direction, right? You could be a terrible person who came out of a prison sentence or whatever, and you could go into a kitchen and prosper because as you work for yourself and the food, it doesn't judge you the way that someone in corporate America or, you know, some other place with a suit and tie would look at you and say, oh, you've got a record or we, you know, we just can't have the reputation or whatever. People love the food. They love the personality and the personality can supersede rehabilitation. Now, I love talking to people. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I love the service, great service, but let me tell you about what happened with my the quality of the product. And I'm going to tell you, that happened to me two nights ago. They said, Michael, just we love the service, such great service. It's just a shame that his steak was... And I was like, yo! Why didn't you tell me? Well, we didn't want to hassle you. We didn't want to disappoint you. We didn't want you to have to. And I thought you'd like me so much that you're going to throw away your dollars and you're like you could have had a better meal. Why didn't you say to me, Michael, what's up, man? Take my steak back there. Have them give me another one, recook it. Whatever your quality issue was, my question is very, very simple when it comes to solving problems in restaurants. It's this simple, folks. You ever worked in restaurants? You're going to work in restaurants? Remember this statement right here. What can I do to make you happy? Best thing I've ever come up with. And reading a book or some shit is just something that came to me one day. Because from being in those smaller places with very diligent management, very you know meticulous cleaning reps and all of this stuff that happened in my past, I came across a lot of situations where I needed to fix situations. Something got left out of a bag, whatever it might be. Because you're talking about high school and entry-level skill sets involved in some of these things. Sometimes unsavory people you work with, whatever it might have been. And things happen, mistakes happen. I will never forget Miss Dolores. And I've given this example in many job interviews or in many other settings. She calls me on the phone uh, while I'm at the restaurant, at at the KFC actually. And says, you know, son, we came up there and we bought such and such and eight-piece meal. We're missing our sides. And we just, we forgot the sides or somebody forgot the sides and we'd like to know what we can do about it. And I said, you know, I'm looking at some sides. sitting." On, and this is a, a absolutely true story. I can, I can picture it in my head right now. Not my imagination, in my memory. And I leaned back in the office chair and I looked down the line and I saw... The, the two sides in the styrofoam cups that we used to have for the KFC. And I said, I'm looking at your sides right now. I said, what can I do to make this right for you? She said, well, can I come get my sides? And I remember thinking to myself, that's the answer everybody who's in management has ever been looking for. Let me backtrack. When you're in management and, and there's a problem with food, there is what the uh, Kroger used to call it the double money back guarantee. Harris Teeter does this. Lowe's Foods, I believe, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina does this. So I, would, I guess you say if there's a quality issue. Okay. So if there's a quality issue, they will, as, as the double standard, replace your order and give you the refund. Miss Dolores didn't want anything like that. She asked me for what she paid for. So I had X number of dollars that went into this order that she had. She left with less value. I was going to give her the equal value to the original ticket. No extra sides. No extra dollars. No refund. I thought this is the perfect harmony. I asked her what she wanted. She's very reasonable. Her dignity shone through. That's all she wanted. What happens next? She drives on over. She pulls up to the speaker. Hey, I'm here. I spoke to Michael, such and such. And I remember Ashley, I'll say her name. It's a very generic name. Ashley Coleman was working the drive-thru. And she turned to me. She said, Mike, what is this? And I said, well, it's Miss Dolores. I said, you tell her to pull around. 
So she pulls on around. Now the window is a weighted window. It's got like a spring in it that you lean into this triangle and push it forward and flat. You flatten out the triangle. It's shaped uh, like if you've ever seen the cases that the flags go in when there's been a military funeral. It's shaped like a triangle. You lean into it. It opens. So she opened the window, and she talked to her, and then she closed the window and said, Mike. I said, no, 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 no. Open the window. And so I'm sitting in the office, but I can look down the corridor out the drive-thru and see that she's got the window open. And I said, Ashley, this is Miss Dolores. You give her whatever she asked for. Now, that's a, that's a pretty broad fucking move at this point, right? Because I don't know that she's not going to say, you know, I'd like some chicken. You know, she could have said anything she wanted to, and I would have honored it, quite frankly. However, she stuck to her word. I stuck to my word. She asked her for the sides. I went and got the sides. I went and gave them to Ashley. I said, I said it's my mistake. I'm running the shift. Ashley's going to be the hero here. So Ashley gets ready to hand out the side items. And I said, hold on. I grabbed Ashley's arm. I said, don't, don't give those to her just yet. So, Mrs. Dolores, you drove all the way back up here. I'm going to give you a gallon of tea, or you can have any dessert you want. You have extra side. What do you want? Because driving up here is not free. What do you, you get something out of this. What do you want? What do you want? She said, well, I guess uh, we'll drink some tea. So I grabbed the tea. We filled it up. We gave her the sides. We talked for a minute while the tea was filling up. And then we sent her on her way, and she came back many times. Uh, and I remember that I, I got away with almost like this, um, it's almost like age discrimination or something. I said to her, I said, Miss Dolores, she must have been in her 60s. I said, you know, I make most of the younger folks get out of their car and come in here to see me. <laughs> she said, she said, thank you. <laughs> she, she smiled with me. And you can hear it in my voice. I'm just as sincere as can be. It's a, it's a southern, uh, it's not southern discomfort, but it's this southern understanding of the, the forwards and the backwards of, of using ironic language or Let's say a little bit of, you know, you, you're poking and you're prodding at somebody because you want to get them going and put a little color in their face and have fun with them. She was having fun. I was having fun. She left. She came back. Great customer. And I, I've got a million stories like that where I just think that it's so easy to work with people if you want to. I've often said to anybody who wants to get a raise, and I talked about this in the last, pod, the last podcast, you walk up to the manager, and, hey, can I talk to you? When could I talk to you? And whenever he says, then you be prepared to talk to him. And whatever he says, you know, maybe that's what you need to do for the raise. Maybe it requires another certification or a class or a diploma or some. you know, it could require some educational credit. Maybe you need to show up to work every day on time for 30 days because you've been lazy. But do what they say, right? My problem with, with you know, my current location has long been the, the treatment of just, or the lack of treatment, the lack of discipline and lawlessness that goes on where you say, hey, um, my schedule says I'm working from 5 to 8 tonight. And they come to you and they say to you, you know, that's just a suggestion, you know, you know, that's your out time, that's just a suggestion. I said, all right, cool, well, when I show up at 5.15 or 6 o'clock, just remember that 5 o'clock is just a suggestion. No, no, it don't work like that. It doesn't, huh? Hmm, maybe we'll I'll leave by 8 then, right? Why be a hypocrite? As Anthony loves to quote, it's an old, old quote of mine, you don't have to go to the zoo to see the hypocrites, you know? <laughs> And I've always thought, you know, that's just how I feel about a lot of that stuff. You know, you can't sit here and double standard to death everybody and say, oh, oh, you know, I know we're not running the food, but you better run the food. I'm like, we all got legs and we're all on the clock and we're all part of this operation. If you got hands and a pulse and you're working, grab it and run it to the table. I don't care what uniform or what level of the restaurant business you're in. Whether you're a server that just got hired, a sanitation guy because of COVID-19, or you're the person whose business card is by the front door, take it to the table. Nobody's too good to let food go cold, right? Your title or your position is so excellent that you can just compromise the quality of food. Get the hell out of here, you know? I just, I just don't follow that train of thought. It'll never be genuine to me for someone to, to, to act like 
any level of if you're the lowest guy on the totem pole they expect you to work like a dog and then if you get to the top of the heap where the air is thinner and it's harder to breathe how can you be the most comfortable think about that the quote that i wrote down because i was texting my mother she said how's things going with work and i said well it just frustrates me the way that people get treated because often they just take advantage of different situations And people who are working at the top, I think, have forgotten or never worked at the bottom. So we don't work together in harmony. They don't understand what they're asking of people or maybe how they're treating people. And they act like they have a more stressful deal. It's like in 2020. Oh, is your suffering more painful than my suffering? Mm -hmm. We're going to control each other like that. Whoever's got the most scars wins. Get the fuck out of here. The quote I wrote to my mother, I wrote it down in my book here, says, How do you make decisions for people that you can't relate to? Think about that, folks. You got somebody who's in local government or anything else. How do you make decisions for somebody you can't relate to? You're telling your teenager what, how they should feel. But how are you making decisions for somebody you can't relate to? How would you know how, they, how to relate to them? Oh, communication. What? Clear, open-door policies? Who would have thought of such a fucking thing? I, I, I might know a guy who's got a podcast where the opening episode is the open door. So, I just, I kind of think to myself, like, open-door policies and discussions and communication ought to be having roundtables or meetings on a regular basis. And meaning, like, 60 days, once a month, three months, whatever, is quite reasonable. And I just, I don't get how you go about doing things in any other shape, form, or fashion. You've got to be able to communicate. Obviously, you know the, the person from the shift before wants to let the guy know on the shift after and so forth. Like, I just, I have a hard time thinking to myself, as a member of, a long-term member of different levels of retail and merchandising and food management and stuff, that, uh, if, well, I was a, a problem resolution specialist for an eBay warehouse. You know, I've got a, a, a dexterous amount of things that are on my resume. It's not like I don't relate to other fields and have some ear to the ground when it comes to these things. And yet you would think that the, the people who are around me might look at that and, and when I start talking. Now, am I prone to humor? Yes. Do I still say things that are plausible? Yes, but because I say so many lighthearted things that are plausible, and yet they're ironic, they're not cemented in truth, uh, when things that do come around that are important, maybe you wouldn't listen to me. But maybe you don't care to listen anyway. My, my salary's guaranteed. Why the hell would I give a damn what Michael's got to say? He's just one person. Well, it's kind of like with assault victims. The ones who do speak up are a statistical representative of the populace, right? There's these people who are on record. How many people are not on record that you know, you know, are either fearful or they don't have enough gumption or, you know, they just don't care enough, but they feel the same way, right? I guess it depends because if, if your argument is that those people didn't show up to vote, it's a good point, right? Because democracy is an interesting thing. If you don't show up to vote, the people who uh, won the majority still win, whether you decided that you didn't want to vote. So I, I, you know, I've always appreciated the Brewsters Millions. If you guys have never seen that, it's John Candy and you got uh, Richard Pryor. Um, Brewsters Millions is the story of uh, how he can blow thirty million dollars in a, in thirty days and. One of the things he does is he runs a campaign for none of the above, where the folks in Chicago vote for none of the above. They vote for nobody to be in office. I don't know if I subconscious lotteried, if I worked my way around to that to say there's nobody steering the ship or not. But I, I think oftentimes that people get too focused in their simple projects Um and we don't think about how those things, like, what is the greater harmony of what's going on? Hey, I'm going to put some people in this to-go area that's miserable. Maybe if I put people that like each other on the same shift, it would go smoother for them. Oh. 
No, why would we do that? That's a- because you're trying to team build, butthead. Because you want the restaurant to look like it's a harmonious orgasm. Did I just say that? Organism. Holy shit. <laughs> you want, in many ways, if the food is good enough, maybe it will be a harmonious orgasm. But you're looking at an organism that should flow and it should beat and it should have just synchronicity. It should have this wonderful pulsating riptide to it. You come in, the people greet you, they open the door, they're ready for you. Hey, can I get such and such? You absolutely can. You're paying for wonderful service. Let's give you wonderful service. I've come up... The other question that I have is... or The other statement that I make to the people is, if you're happy, I'm happy. Same as the first concept. What will make you happy? I have very simple steps of service. I greet everybody with water and bread so that they have something to eat and something to touch, especially in modern times. It's hotter than it's ever been. I haven't done many podcasts that cover the ecosphere, but I will be doing that about how we do more stuff. There's more people, more plastic. The environment's hotter. I'm never going to be able to really enjoy my leather coat collection in North Carolina again. So you come in, you get water and bread. I talk to you. You guys been here with? Have you have you been with us? Do you know what's good? Okay, good, excellent. You got favorites. If you don't, I'm happy to, to answer any questions you have. Here's where you can find the wine. Here's where you can find the drinks. Here's some of the specialties. And I will be back whenever you're ready. So I, I'm in no rush. You have the table. It's yours until you're ready to give it up. I tell every table. If you ever li- if you're a customer and you're listening to this, I'm full of shit. I tell every table that I'm here every single night until we lock the doors. Even if they sat you right before they cut me off the floor and I don't have another table all night, I still will tell you that I'm in the restaurant till we lock the doors because I don't want to impose on you and you can stay as late as you want. Well, uh, my steps of service go from that greeting to making sure that they have food, but my quality control and profit control, quite frankly, is in this next thing. Once the food is delivered, I make sure and ask people two things. Everything is good. Tastes good. Feels good. Excellent. Excellent. Glad. And if they have a customization, I point that out. No tomatoes? No, whatever. Excellent. I'll be back. Guess what? Now they have agreed to order in the beginning. I placed their order with the kitchen. They have food in front of them at this point. They have now inspected the food, accepted the food, and told me how wonderful and delicious it is. I never have a problem with any table ever going back on those statements. I have, I have, at times had experiences like what I mentioned earlier. Went back to the table, took them their credit card receipts. Michael, we love the service. It's just a shame his steak was. I said, why? Why did you tell me about his steak? Now, I'm going to tell you that from a a rich history of restaurant and customer service experience, my remedy for this is I'm going to bring you out a $10 or $20 gift card to give to you so that you'll come back to my restaurant because we didn't take the steak off the the bill and we didn't replace it. So at least I can give you credit, a gift card to come back or send somebody else back. Okay. We frown upon that, or at least that's what they've told me at my location. They don't go out of their way to give those cards out to anybody. It's like they're, you know, a big deal. Well, you'll delete $50 off the damn ticket, but you won't give the guy 25 to come back. Now, doesn't that sound like a poor business decision? Yeah. And we guarantee he's coming back for a future visit. <gasps> you know, the other way, we may not see him again. But, hey, what do I know about this stuff, right, you know? And I think to myself how simple these ideas are and yet how far-fetched or how foreign they are to other people. You don't know. You don't have that title. You're not a manager. I'm not a manager because I choose not to manage anymore. It's 40 to 50 hours a week of putting out fires. It's much like, you know, why would you want to be in law enforcement anymore? People call you into undesirable situations and then wonder why you're pissed off all the time. What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, because teachers don't lose their cool in the classrooms and the kids are half their size and don't have any weapons or criminal histories. 
you know, just <laughs> customers get unruly too. And, and so do the mouthy servers like me who will catch the manager every time I see him leaving and saying goodbye every single day. I ask him. So next week's when they're kicking in minimum wage for the to-go people, right? And he looks at me like I'm crazy. But I'm going to keep doing it. If you've seen Andy Dufresne on Shawshank Redemption where he writes the state legislature every single week to try to get funds for his book club at the Shawshank Prison Library, that's what the hell I'm doing. I don't just preach this on the podcast. I actively go out on a regular basis and mention these things, especially to the people around me. Whether or not we might be able to form a union or something is not something I've ever thought about or considered, quite frankly. But I do mention the things to the people in power. And I have a piece of literature I'm putting together for the people at the home office. I support the opposition. The opposition to be uh, to, to the lack of structure that's going on. All I'd like to see happen is to have a great foundation with an exoskeleton inside of what we're doing that is an attention to detail with cleaning, with morale, with the way that we treat people, the structure that we have for our scheduling. Structure for scheduling. Yes. So if I am partnered with a guy in the same section as me, and I come in at 5 o'clock in the evening, but he comes in at 6 o'clock in the evening, who do you think's leaving first? Well, yeah, the 5 o'clock guy. No, because they go by some weird rule where they try to tell you that the guy who was um, a double who worked lunch gets to leave early. And I said, well, what does that have to do with me? Not only did he come in after me, it says on the schedule he's staying later than me. He's from 6 to 9. I'm from 5 to 8. Why would he leave before me? Well, because are you telling me the schedule is a lie again? That I don't work 5 to 8, I work 5 until whenever you tell me to leave. And now the guy who is next to me, who came in after me, who still has tables that got seated after me, would then leave first. What kind of fucking sense does that make? It doesn't. Well, yeah, a lot of restaurants do the double. Yes, they do. And they bring the doubles in first in the evening so that they're the first to leave Those are the fundamental rules of the restaurant. First in and first out. It's very simple. Schedule them that way. It's really simple, man. Why would you take the guy who's the double anyway and then schedule him later to extend the amount of his working day when he's not working the hours in between his morning and night shift? Now his working window for the day went from 11 or 12 in the morning to 8 to 9 to 10 at night or whatever it might have been. You know, he could have gotten in there early, got in there at 4, lived at 7.30. That, that wouldn't tax his body or his mind nearly as much. We couldn't torture his morale that way. Oh, yeah, he might be motivated to work harder. And what was that word I used earlier? Smile. <laughs> Smile. When he's performing his duty, when he's putting on his showmanship, what do you think a tired clown looks like? A lot sadder than one who's got energy. It's just, it, it, it's strange to me. It's a lack of responsibility is the way I look at it. These are simple things that are done at lower level or, or at lower class or, or less industrious and less and lower volume restaurants is maybe what I should say. Those restaurants turn over less money and they have a smaller skill set and they pay people less money and they have those systems in place. Why in the hell? Would you have a restaurant with more on the line and more to lose and have riskier systems or none at all? Protect your investment. You know, here, I made some notes I'd forgotten. Egg rolls and fries. Yes. I was working a to-go order. Yes, there was an order that had been placed before this guy walked in the door. He ordered some Philly cheesesteak, egg rolls, and some fries. That's all he wanted. There's an order of Philly cheesesteak egg rolls coming out. Fries are readily available. I said, good, let me have those. He's here. We can let him leave. No, because this other order, it's before his. Let me get this right. You're going to put that in a to-go order bag and let it sit over there and get cold while he still waits in the lobby for you to make his food. Those people will never miss that food. They're not even coming. 
And yet he could turn around and spend more money next time because when he came in here to get this simple order, we have now reassured and built up his confidence by giving him something instantaneous. Wouldn't he trust our decision-making if we were to do things like that? Oh, Lord, yes, he would. I mean, this is simple, simple stuff. You know, when I, it's like with the server thing. When I talk about who comes in at what time. Other restaurants, and this is a very industrious practice. It's the best practice for the industry. They have sections set up according to who's coming in first and who is leaving first. When you are seated in your section... You know that that section is the first cut section. When you come in first, you know which section you're going to have. I'm the 4 o'clock, going to have section A. Not, I, I'm here at 4 o'clock. Gee, I wonder which section we're going to have. Let me pull a ball out of the bingo wheel. You know, it's just... That'd make too much sense, wouldn't it? Hey, hey isn't, the, isn't the point of a capitalist restaurant in a free enterprise economy to make sense and then dollars and then yeah but you got to start somewhere so you make sense then you make dollars and you can spell that word either way you want to when you're making sense got it got it i mean to me these are very simple things you know this guy wanted egg rolls and fries no we're not giving him that let him wait that's what i got told let him wait we mean let him wait. These people aren't here, and he is here. Why are you going to have two people waiting? Jesus, man. Is it, you know, it's just, it's it's that kind of ridiculous decision-making that comes from the mind of people who just don't have the other exposure to the industry practices. I don't be, I do not believe in my heart or mind that anybody was trained to disregard best practices. And one of the reasons that I know that these were not practices they had and then broke themselves of is when I was in a, an annual meeting this spring and they said, this is the first year or the, or the second year we're rolling out team service. And I thought, Jesus Christ, this stuff's been going on for 20 years. Everywhere else that I have worked has team service. When you're next to the person who has a section to your left or right or up or down or whatever it may be, and you see somebody that needs something, you walk over there and ask them, can I get you something? You clean up the dirty stuff. You help them out. I mean, why do we all wear the same uniform if we're not going to help each other any damn way? Why can't my section be dressed up like a damn Celtic warrior? I, oh, I can't dress like a shamrock today. No, you got to dress like everybody else. Oh, do you expect me to run their food? Yeah. Do I have to clean their tables? Nah. Oh, I just take the food. I just I don't clean the table. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's first in and first out. No, it's just first out. There is no first in because you don't, you know, what I'm, it, it's just a ridiculousness. These are the people who would never have electricity because they can't complete the circuit. What is that other quote that I had? Uh, oh, the, the other thing that I said was somebody was instigating on Facebook. And I said, these are the people I know that live without electricity because they're gas lighters, which I thought was a very modern kind of clever quote. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is I would like for me and my compadres and comrades to have the best chances for success available. You set a team up for success, man. You have the first guy come in at the first time, and he knows he's in the first section. And those things are all... In synchronicity with each other. Concurrently running together. You know, you have in court, you have consecutive, you have concurrent. Concurrent means things running over top of each other. Consecutive life sentences would mean you, you have to do one and then another. Three concurrent two-year sentences would mean you go to jail for two years, not six years. You go for two and all your time is covered. Three consecutive two-year sentences would mean two, 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 and six total. And so you have the guy come in first. He's in the first cut section. He's going to leave first. Everybody knows what his side work is going to be. Why? Because there's first cut side work. <gasps> Michael, this just sounds so simple. It is. It really is. It's, it's, that, it's that fucking simple. It's, it's like that simple, man. I don't know what you want me to tell you. It's... <sighs> 
It's very mentally taxing, and I feel I should have a much larger budget. <laughs> so, I'm going to wrap up this podcast because it seems like I'm, I'm on the road to nowhere. I've, I've laid out some what I think are some wonderful tools to go by. You know, I think if you're going to be in, in a service industry, if you're going to be in a, an industry where you're going to have people who are, you know, your, your talent roster is what it ought to be called because they're your talent roster. They're people who go out there. I've talked about this in other podcasts. They get paid a very minimum wage to go out for the audience to pay them and tip them and, and give them gratuity. They're paid based on their performance. They're your talent roster. Set them up for success. Give them things you can count on. Don't treat them like they're some kind of animal in a circus. Treat them like the professional entertainers that they are. That's all I could ask for, especially as a world-class podcaster and everything. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I appreciate you paying attention to me. Um, I thought this flowed very well. I hope you guys, if you have questions, you let me know. This is going to be episode one of uh, a series of these uh, because I've got a couple other places I want to take this. And I hope you will continue with me on that journey. Until then, I am signing off in the middle of this Monday morning at 5 a.m. <laughs> and uh, I also want to thank, a, I call her my soulmate. Um, my best friend for inspiring me about doing the podcast and to because uh, she'll be waking up at 5 a.m. I'm always thinking about her when I'm when I'm talking about this time or I'm, I'm seeing a clock and it's this time in the morning. Very disciplined, very well-rounded young lady. She has the kind of structure with her workouts and, and other things that she's got going on to better herself and improve efficiency, that we could admire and we could embrace that kind of spirit and enthusiasm. And we have a nice-looking restaurant, but if it was as beautiful as she is, it'd be the Taj Mahal, baby. Anyway, I hope that you guys have a wonderful uh, time listening to this. I will speak with uh, you guys very soon. Have a good morning. (laughs) 